0: false neutral podcast this is episode 122 for march of 2022 (laughs) i don't know what year uh eric and garrett are with me as always hi guys how you doing hey good how are you not bad uh you know shopping online for motorcycles i can't buy Mm i am not allowed to open ebay because i kept finding motorcycle parts for projects i haven't started yet I uh have to do things like get my furnace fixed and pay for life insurance and things so but I am thinking about buying a shed. Mm. I have so many motorcycle parts cluttering the garage. I'm like, you know, I go down to Lowe's, they got some closeouts real cheap. I can put a shed out there just to throw, you know, frames and wheels and stuff that I won't need for probably ever. So, mm-hmm. that's
1: when you know you have a lot of extra parts is when you have to buy a shed to put them all in.
0: I've been resisting it for just that reason, but (laughs) I finally now do admit that I have a problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I, I should buy one of those seven by seven PVC slash plastic sheds to put in my backyard and just clean out the garage a little bit so that I could then organize my garage. Because it's just it's at a point where there's like it's not a lot in there, but it's just enough that it makes organizing it impossible. We've got two mountain bikes that haven't been ridden in probably 20 years, but they're hanging on hooks against the wall, taking up valuable space. What do you, eh, I don't want to take the time to make them nice enough to sell them. I don't want to give them away. I don't want to just let them hang there. So, yeah, mine's uh, I've got a generator. It's a 9,000 watt portable in air quotes generator. You know, it's by 200 pounds. Um, you know, all, all your usual lawn stuff, and then I and just because we're off of Woodward and the Woodward Dream Cruise, I literally have 20 traffic cones for blocking my driveway during Woodward Dream Cruise. Uh, <laughs> so no one decides to park in there and a bunch of other knickknack stuff, you know, and just like if I get it out, then I could organize it, and then maybe we could actually get cars in there or something. So, who knows? Let's get to our workshop update. I'll go, I'll go first because mine's easy. It's been damn <laughs> cold. We've had two warm days and I had a lot of yard work to catch up on. So yeah, I'm at my usual place. I'll, although, but I'm, I'm semi motivated to make some progress. Spring is coming. We are in March. Yes. Yes. It was fine. Like our snow melted that we had. And then we had two warm days where it got in the mid fifties. And all the frost came out of the ground and my backyard was completely underwater because of all the frost that came. out. Oh, off. wow. Yeah. So, uh, but then it's been in the low thirties again. So now it's ice. Garrett, what have you been up to?
1: Yeah, I was working on a buddy's, it was a 72 or 73 Honda CT90. And my buddy had had it for a long time and it had been sitting sort of outside of a shed Originally covered by a tarp, but you know tarps don't last a decade or more. Actually, I think this thing had been sitting since two thousand three, and it was you know sort of covered by a tarp that deteriorated, and then was like mostly just sitting uncovered. And I had had it in my workshop, and it was missing some parts because at some point someone had tried to work on it, and so it was missing some ignition parts and. I put new points in it and replaced some ignition parts that were missing, um, put a new carburetor on it and just went through everything and made it functional and gave it like a really good detail because it had been sitting for so long. It looked just an absolute mess. So I cleaned it up really good, made it functional and delivered it to him. So now that's out of my hair. My, my Kenny Roberts, RZ 350, it, has a fuel leak in the gas tank from rust through, right? We've talked about this before.
0: Yeah. I remember that was the one thing that you were kind of like, you'd gotten it all done and then you're like, yeah.
1: Oh, and it leaks.
0: Yeah. So I am
1: determined to fix that. So I took the gas tank off a of bit and it's the, I just, I need to strip the gas tank all the way down metal. Right. And it has a couple of dents in the sides of the gas tank presumably from either falling over or going down or whatever so those dents needed to be fixed and then you know both sides at the bottoms of the tank some rust holes need to be repaired so I was going to strip all the the original paint off of it and so I went and got some paint stripper and I used the paint stripper and after like 24 hours of the stripper sitting on it didn't even take the gloss. The I mean, <laughs> wow. And and so I was noticing that the paint stripper it it, it said on the can like non methyl something chemical formula, right? And I'm like, "Oh, well that's weird. Maybe I got the environmentally friendly was this like citrus strip? No, no. no. This was like, like Jasco or. Oh, wow. Or like one of these real paint stripper, like one that I've used before. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, I must've got the green formula or whatever. It didn't even take the gloss off. <laughs> That's bad. Right. And I, I like used a scraper and like after it sat on there for a long time and I put it on liberally and I use this like metal scraper and Like, there were scratches only where the scraper had, like, scratched the paint, but everywhere else, completely unaffected, right? And so I went back and looked, and every single kind of paint stripper I could see had this non-methyl, chemical, super-duper thing on, on the label. And so, like, I think it's possible you can't get good paint stripper anymore
0: look into aircraft stripper yeah aircraft stripper and it's and, and it's good too because most aircraft are aluminum so it'll be it'll be careful on the metal but it won't uh but it should take off whatever paint cuz some of that paint that they peel off of in the 60s and 70s is like you know whatever super lacquer or whatever right. oil base lacquer or whatever so you should be that should but, work yeah, for I, you yeah
1: i went to home depot to get the stripper and every kind that they had Said the same thing on the label. So i will go to like, I've got a paint store down the street. G-
0: could this be a state thing that, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Because I have no problem getting like clean strip here. That, right. That, I, was, I say look up Spruce Aircraft. Uh uh-huh. y- They should have it and they should be able to ship it to you. So I just went online. Uh, clean strip aircraft paint remover. This product contains methyl chlorine and ethyl benzene, which are known to this day to California to cause cancer. Yeah,
1: see, that that's the stuff that apparently you can't what I bought doesn't have.
0: Uh-huh. Which
1: must be key to the stripping action. <laughs> so I need to get some more high-powered stripper, allegedly.
0: I've got a couple different kinds of paint stripper, and even like the citrus strip would take off the factory finish on an old YZ swing arm Uh and a bunch of other stuff that were just ordinary factory finishes came off with it. I had a early 60s German Rex fuel tank. Mm -hmm. The paint was okay, but it was like scratched up. Yeah. Well, I used the citrus drop and it didn't work. Then I used regular paint remover like I don't know what it is, like methyl ketone or whatever. And mm-hmm. and it bubbled it up, but it, it would take the top half of the paint layer off. And I'm sure this had to be like so much lead in this paint. So I finally got the aircraft remover and I put that on there and it mostly came off. But there were still places that like I was like scraping it to this day. I, I haven't gotten all of it off. So I finally just hit it with primer. Yeah. I, I sanded it real well, hit it with primer, and I'm like, whatever's on there, it's going to stay on there. If, I think it's the Stewart stuff that works really good. And there's a Canadian guy restoring, a, the, the, one of my favorite guys has got a cooking channel, uh, also is restoring an aircraft, a 172. I'm pretty sure that's what he used to strip his plane. I can't swear to it, but I think so. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. But go down that direction, you probably should be good.
1: Yeah, I'll look and see if it's, I might just have to order something because I'm not sure if it's like a Washington State thing or whatever, but um, didn't even touch the paint. so uh, (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I'm working on that. Uh, I need to get my other Trail 70 ready. I'm I'm going on a, a camping trip the like first few days of April going to central Oregon. And um, it's like a ride spot, that I always used to go to haven't been for a few years. I'm going to take my wife for the first time. She's never been. And I'm also taking my boys, my boys, I took them a couple of years ago to this spot. They have, you know, that little Honda 50 that I restored. So I'm going to bring that. I have that trail 70. That I restored, I'm going to bring that. And then my other Trail 70, I need to put some knobby tires back on it and change the gearing a little bit so I can bring both of my Trail 70s. This area that I'm going to, it's in Central Oregon, and there's like just shy of 400 miles of trails. I mean, the place is huge. I've never even ridden all the trails before. So my goal is to bring both Trail 70s and just go on a little put around trail ride with my wife just on trail seventies. So she can kind of see what it's like. I'm going to go and do that in a few weeks. There's a whole bunch of people that I've recruited to come down with us. In fact, our neighbors, they're about our age. They have kids that are about our kids' age. They have some motorcycles. They're going to come down and a few other of my friends are. So it's going to be a big family camping trip Just bring a bunch of little motorcycles and ride around and hang out. So we're going to do that in a few weeks. Trying to get my Trail 70 ready for that. Also, my CRF 450, I haven't actually ridden since 2017. So, in fact, uh, April 2017. So it's been five years that I've ridden it. Um, I did start it up. A few weeks ago just to make sure that everything still worked and it it started and seemed to run fine but i need to is
0: that electric start it's not
1: no that's the good old-fashioned carbureted kickstart Mm. uh 2008 2009 was the first year of fuel injection so this mine is the last year of the carburetor and yeah so probably should change the oil in it i figured i'd at least do that yeah so That's about what I'm working on. And then with the the workshop itself last month, I think I talked about it a little bit on my shop. I had 10 foot garage doors in the front of it. And I reframed the garage door openings to put eight foot doors in. I have the doors luckily because getting garage doors these days is kind of a challenge. It's a concrete block, like a cinder block shop, but I, um, put like furring strips on the outside of it, put some rigid foam in between the furring strips. And now I'm putting concrete siding on the outside of it. So it'll look like a normal garage with, you know, normal siding on it. So yeah, I've been doing a lot of work to the workshop itself. In fact, that's kind of where all of my attention has been over the last couple of months is just getting my workshop itself updated. I got all new LED lighting installed, moved all of my machine equipment around. And I don't, I probably haven't shown you guys a picture of it, but I did a bunch of interior. I painted the inside of it, put up some artwork and now I'm just sort of redoing all the siding on the outside of it too. So I've been doing just tons of work, um, over the past couple months.
0: So yeah, that's where I'm at. I haven't done a whole lot. Finished the front fender on the Bride of Frankenstein and uh, front brakes done, but I just need to hook up the line and put some fluid in it. I've been working on foot pegs. I don't have any foot controls. It should be a no brainer. It should be the easiest thing on this, but trying to figure out exactly how to position them and bolt them up. There's already so many things going on with how the engines mounted. And I'm surprised how little flexibility I have for mounting these, but. I think I've got a way forward, so I, I should have that done by next month. I'm really getting kind of close to needing to do things like put the body work on. And so I, I've i got so many other things going on and work got super crazy. So I've been doing things like sleeping in in the mornings rather than get up at 530 to go downstairs. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, we're we're kind of going to talk about new bikes again, but we're not really talking about models for this year in our Slack chat that we have among the three of us. Uh, Eric, you posted a picture of the upcoming Buell V Twin Adventure Tour, and I used the term only because that's what was in the article. Right. It it's heinous. Heinous is the word you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Well, imagine the last Buell that you saw when they were in production before put a couple of aluminum saddlebags on it and and 3D print the ugliest headlight bezel it, you could imagine. Not even 3D printing. It, it. It looks like something I would make. I mean, <laughs> it looks like somebody just like grabbed some spare parts and whacked this together in their garage. J.C. Whitney's embarrassed that, you know, how ugly that is. uh, (laughs) And it's not even an adventure bike. It's it's still got street tires on it. It's still got that rim-mounted brake on the front, which would last like 10 minutes on a serious trail. It's really just their naked bike. With, like you say, saddlebags and a windscreen put on it. That's really all that is. With as little development time and effort as possible. (laughs) Yeah. Yes.
1: So the the two front headlights, it's so weird. There's this, it's like two round headlights in this, like, really ugly looking square enclosure. Steel box. Yeah. And then the, the windscreen, it just looks like it was, like, just before they mounted it, it was probably a flat piece of tinted Lexan <laughs> that they just cut in a shape and then put a slight curve to it. Yep. But it's basically vertical. Yep. With stickers that, you know, and this is, of course, the display one, but there are literally stickers. The
0: only way they could have made this <laughs> more perfect was if instead of black, black steel, if they had actually used diamond plate.
1: Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> that,
0: would have, that would have been the thing that would have just set that off. Yeah. yeah.
1: Easily the ugliest motorcycle of the last year, if not the last 10 years.
0: And it's not an adventure tour. No, it's, no, it's not. <laughs> no. Buell has
1: done this forever. And the newest people that have taken Buell over just continue with the same thing. It's like they have one machine and they want to do 10 different things with that one machine. So they put trinkets on it. And then call it whatever it is. And it was the same when they had the Ulysses, you know, before they had, there was a lightning, the firebolt, and then the Ulysses, which was their adventure bike. And now they've sort of done the same thing. They have turned it into what, what whatever this is. I don't even know what it is. It's more of a touring bike, um, but they've just put some grotesque trinkets on it. And it just doesn't work.
0: On the other hand, have you guys seen CF Motos? uh, Oh, oh yes, I did because our friend in Portugal did a video on it. Yes.
1: It's a real adventure. Yes. But you know, it's 800 cc's, but it's spoked wheels with dual sport tires with very clearly adventure suspension and ergonomics. Is this their own engine design or is this a copy of something? It's
0: they, basically they build the 790 engine for KTM. Uh-huh. So it's essentially that engine. Okay. That's what Cager said in his review. So, but this isn't for sale in the United States, is it? The 800MT is the one you're thinking of. Uh-huh. That's not the same engine as what's in the street bikes that are coming to the United States. Okay. Okay. All of their 700s. Which are the CXT, the Adventura, all that? Those are Kawasaki's six hundred and fifty okay. twin, okay, just tweaked a little bit. It's not like it's the same engine, but they licensed the design and then made their own changes to it and bored it out a little bit. Yeah, you are right. It was the MT eight hundred that he that Kager reviewed, right? So, and right. I don't okay. think that one's going to come to the United States. Okay, but for those of you inter- listening internationally. Cager really liked it. I mean, he like had an, av- he wrote it on a cart track, literally a go-kart track and was having a riot on it. So it's a little oddly styled. The MT is the 800 yeah. MT. Yeah. But adventure bikes are kind of known for being quirky. I think the Adventura is a really nice looking clean design. hmm And CF Moto uh actually got uh i was going to say moto gp points no they got moto 3 points
1: well they did achieve a top 10 finish i was mm-hmm. noticing that um they you know and and compared to the top 6 or 7 or 8 most of the people in the top 10 were like a, a within a second of each mm-hmm. other and then cf moto was you know 6 seconds behind uh the pace
0: that's a that's a class where drafting is is so important that if and if you lose the draft um, you get you fall back very quickly and it's almost impossible to catch back up unless you get a group of people who are willing to kind of stay in line and then you know use a 3-4 rider draft to pull themselves up so it's it's a it's a fun class to watch it's <laughs> some crazy stuff goes on in there but yeah now i haven't really watched any racing in i don't know 15 years but i very much enjoyed some of the smaller classes back when they were running two strokes the 125 class was always really close racing and i know that they've had some really close racing in the in the uh, like the ktm 390 spec class mm-hmm. the mechanic in me likes when there's a lot of diversity in the hardware yep but for racing spec classes make sense to to an extent some some part of the spec yes but i think moto 2 moto 3 um, needs to be opened up a little bit more uh i don't like single tires um i'd like to see competition there i don't get single tires except it's, it's just a, it's a cost control thing so that there's not of everyone's not upping one of the other or certain riders are only getting the good tires and just everyone else gets the other tires um it's it's I don't like it, but it, it's been that way for over a decade now. So, yeah, tires are one of the things that you should be able to change fairly easily. It's a wear item mm-hmm. that you can replace in 20 minutes. And if, and if there's ever a place you want to see a faster development of stuff, it's right. You know, tires and racing, it, you know, makes a huge right. difference. You're going to learn a lot quickly. Even if you had two or three options. Mm -hmm. But as I said, the only racing I've watched in 20 years is the Asian Championship because they put it in my Facebook feed and I can watch it live if I wake up in the middle (laughs) of the night. I don't make time in my schedule to watch racing. But sure, when I'm lying awake in bed, I'll I'll watch them. I don't know if you guys were aware,
1: but in the supercross world a guy by the name of jared stanky people call him stink dog raced a 125 two-stroke at the oakland supercross last month and made the main and i think oh, wow. finished ninth or tenth cool. in the main uh, of a um of a 250 stroke wow. class yeah yeah he raced a 125 two-stroke which is the first time a two-stroke has uh, raced main since you know, it was like 2006
0: or something? Didn't the May, the 450 class allow either 250 or 300 cc two-strokes in a couple years ago?
1: Yes, and I'm unclear on the rules, but it sounds like they might allow um, a 250 two-stroke to race in the 450. And so I, I think that Jared Stanky was, I think that he was planning on doing something like that.
0: Um, are, are the two strokes not popular because of the rules? Is there a built-in advantage simply because of the rules? Or do people who race actually like the four strokes better? And well, they,
1: kind of both. The development for two strokes completely quit in right, 2000 right. and six pretty much. In addition, the four strokes typically are a little bit easier to ride. They're a little bit easier to get out of the hole. They have a little bit more bottom end power, but there are still competitive advantages arguably for the two strokes being a little bit lighter weight, um, and the power to weight ratio is a little bit better on them they're more exciting for people to watch. I think be- these days, just because they are different and pe- there is a certain amount of nostalgia. It's just like, you know, Radwood is popular for a reason and two strokes kind of fit into that same category. And so people want to see two strokes. And so I think it's possible we might start seeing a, a more of a mix of four strokes and two strokes in supercross and motocross racing, which fans would really like. But it does make it a little bit more difficult to outline regulations that make it a fair and competitive race.
0: It'd Um, be fun to see someone like KTM, who still does make a pretty good two-stroke. Right. uh, And and almost have a two-stroke team and a four-stroke team, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, in KTM, just for instance, they've never quit developing two-strokes some of the more like off-road focused racing two strokes are still more popular than four strokes in that regard. And, and so um, KTM is made direct injected fuel injected two strokes. And so it'd be interesting to see those um, perhaps in the supercross racing. Um, in any case, there was a two stroke uh, in the main event last month. That's cool. And I think it's something we'll, we'll probably see a little bit more of.
0: Well, speaking of racing, I am actually going to go to flat track races in April, 23rd of April. Oh, nice. The uh, uh, America flat track is going to be at the I-70 Motorsports Park. That's close enough to me to make a day of it. A woman at our church, a big NASCAR fan, I said, if you like oval racing, you should really go see, you know, a half mile or a mile. And I just pulled up my phone and I showed her some video from the AFT website that showed the guys just, you know, full lock slide in the corner. She's like, I want to see that. (laughs) So my wife and this woman and I are going to make a day of it and go out. I haven't been to flat track races since before I got married and I just recently had my 25th anniversary. So uh, it'll be interesting. I've kept up on it a little bit. Since I'm going to be going to the races, I figured I should at least know the people who are Mm -hmm. in it this year. So, Yeah, that'll be fun. Well, we were also going to talk about bagger racing. Uh, For people who don't know, bagger racing is literally Indians and Harleys that have to have a certain size fairing and windshield on them. And they have to have saddlebags. It's kind of this weird hybrid of a real race bike. And, you know, a large glide highway touring bike.
1: It's a spectacle. So the one thing that I like about bagger racing is when they're riding those motorcycles to the edge, you can tell because they are all sorts of squirrely. They don't look as planted as like a GP bike, a GP bike. If, if, a, motor, if a racer is running it fast and F ones the same, you can't really tell unless unless they're like. In a group and there is a lot of movement, but just by themselves, they look so composed and planted, whereas the baggers are like, you know, the tires are trying to swap ends. There's tons of flex in the whole motorcycle and, um, you know, they're really working the machines to get them around
0: corners. They definitely have a more ragged edge to the envelope. As you said, GP bikes look super smooth right up until the guy's on his butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's riding great, no drama. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, he went a little too far. And now it and he are sliding down the track. Well, I guess that's what happened. Whereas these, you can, you can really tell how close they are.
1: Yeah. And so it's so much fun to see him race.
0: Yeah. It's kind of pointless. Oh, it, it's fun, but it's, it's a gimmick. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure.
0: It's, it's a way to get guys that have a Harley Street Road fairing glide interested in what's going on at the track when they are pretty much by nature uninterested in road racing. So I get it, but it's still a silly gimmick. Yes. Uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about these, uh, Motorcyclist.com and Cycle World have both done videos, and I know Motorcycle.com did a write-up of what's involved in transforming these things into an actual race bike. Uh, there, The race bike is something like 220 or 240 pounds lighter than the actual bike. Yeah, I believe that. Um, I have it from very reliable sources, and by that I mean people who actually have ridden these things and at, in competition, that it costs about Somewhere between two hundred and fifty and three hundred thousand dollars to build one of these motorcycles. Jeez. Yes. They kind of remind me of funny cars because none of like it's not like they're functional bags on there. I mean, it's like a floppy mm-hmm. fiberglass body over a dragster. The attraction is, at least from a Daytona standpoint, where they're racing this week and, and bike week is going on this week. If you if you just sit outside the speedway for ten minutes all you see are baggers i mean last year when i was down there announcing i i, I bet you 75 to 80 percent of the bikes i saw down there were baggers of some sort and all tricked out with some with like i want to swear like 24 inch front wheels and all kinds of crazy stuff so the idea is during any of the racing road racing stuff supercross is different because supercross is different um but from a from a road race standpoint at daytona if you get more than i don't know Five thousand fans in there—that's a lot. I maybe that may be undercounting, but as big as that place is, it, it looks like it's empty. If you could get ten percent of the people who are down there for Bike Week to come in and watch that with all the Harley people, all of a sudden you've got thirty-five thousand people in the stands, and that's a big difference. And then you know it's it's sort of an appetizer to some other stuff. Now maybe they won't care, and they're all there, they're there see their Harleys and Indians, and great, fine, at least it's something. But yeah, that's that's what's popular. That's what's big. A lot of Harley dealers are throwing a bunch of cash at it um to build and race these motorcycles. And and riders are actually getting paid to ride them, which is unusual in this day and age. Most most riders are either you know paying paying to get on a ride. So mm-hmm. it's weird. I, I won't argue with you. It's weird. Yeah, I can't
1: that's so expensive to build one of those.
0: For smack dab, easily 40% of the bikes that do smack tab every year are full dress Harleys. And if you want to just cruise down the highway in the Midwest on a motorcycle, they do that extremely well, but I struggle a little bit with why does putting fake bags and a flimsy fiberglass fairing on it, make it more interesting when you look at it and it's like, Obviously, the forks are way longer than they are on a normal one, and they don't have big old floorboards on them. It's, I don't get why this makes sense to the people watching it. I get why they're promoting it. I get why the dealers and the manufacturers want to do it. I I, I think Garrett hit on it. I'm not sure what makes it more attractive. I think Garrett hit on it exactly. It's a spectacle, right? It's not something like you expect a, a sport bike or a naked bike to be running around on a road race track. You do not expect to see a big old bagger running around and just the spectacle and the absurdity of it is why people like it. It's just it's something crazy. I mean going back 25 years plus uh Reg Pridmore when he used to, he used to when in his riding school and he had he'd, he'd use um Boxer BMWs and sometimes a full-dress BMW boxer from the, you know, 80s and 90s. And he'd go out there with people on the back and scrape the cylinder, you know, scrape the cylinders as he's going through corners, you know. Right, right. And mm-hmm. and people loved it. Why? It's a spe- it's not something you expected to see. It was a spectacle. And it's, it's, it's essentially the same thing. So, you know, why is Taylor Swift popular? Not, I mean, you know. Yeah, but – it, it would be like Taylor Swift singing polka with an accordion. I mean, two things that just don't go together. Yes, but she'd sell I mean, like 8 million albums, you know, just because. That's true. Harleys and Indians are popular. Whatever they do, they're going to be pop. You know, it just doesn't make sense, but welcome, welcome to life. <laughs> things that we like usually aren't popular and things that we don't like are popular and we can't understand why. And just, you know. Well. I'm going to completely change tracks going from racing and the obscene cost of racing. And I want to talk about the Honda Navi, not because it's a spectacular motorcycle, but because it's $1,800 list price. Once you add in $300 for shipping and destination charges and maybe uh, 100 to $200 that you're going to get stung on your dealer, you're looking at about $2,300 out the door. Assuming that you don't pay sales tax at your dealer, some states you do. Some you don't. Uh, I've been reading some reviews on it. Zach Quartz did a, a Revzilla. What is it? Everyday Rider is his. What used to be MC Commutes is now Everyday Rider, and it is a weird mix of really bad and brilliant. It, it's got drum brakes. It has linked drum brakes with two cables on the front one goes to your handlebar one goes to the foot pedal so they could get away with not having abs in certain jurisdictions that require it and the rear brake only partially applies the front brake Mm. evidently the brakes just suck i mean they make you know some some of the other scooters just seem stellar and it is a scooter if you look at it The whole crankcase is the swing arm. Your CVT transmission running down one side of the swing arm, the whole engine transmission wheel unit just pivots on a set of shocks, which means you have incredible amounts of unsprung weight. You have a huge rear weight bias. Scooters just by definition don't handle like a motorcycle, but this has a motorcycle tank and Once you move the engine that far back, you end up with this big space where the engine would normally go. So they put a removable, lockable, evidently fairly waterproof cargo capacity. What would normally be like under the seat on a scooter is now under the tank. It kind of looks a little bit like a 1995 version of a futuristic vehicle as a prop in like an old sci-fi movie, uh, what do you guys think of it?
1: Well, it's 109 CCs with a CVT transmission. It probably—I'm guessing it probably goes 45 to 50.
0: I—I th- I think 50. And evidently, people are already playing with the weights, the centrifugal weights in the variator. Yeah, and if you put lighter weights in there, you can actually. Get a like five more miles an hour out of it and better performance on the hills. Why Honda has something that heavy in there? Mm-hmm. They think it's for reliability, especially like in third world countries where people can't afford to, you know, chew up a belt. They're being really conservative with that for belt longevity, but you can actually very easily get more performance out of it
1: with gas at five plus dollars a gallon. It's probably great for. City use. I mean, the thing probably gets 90 or better miles of a gallon.
0: Yeah. I think what I've read is the in the real world, 80 to 85, which is still really good, but it only has like nine tenths of a gallon tank. Mm-hmm. So you've only got like a 70 mile range. But how far are you going to want to ride? Right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, this is for like going to the grocery store and stuff.
1: There must be a market for it. You know, these types of things I don't think do particularly well in the U.S., And I don't know if it really makes much of a difference how well it does. They're probably selling it almost at cost. I mean, I can't imagine they're making very much money.
0: Do you think this is a stepping stone to getting a Grom or, you know, moving up to a bigger scooter or?
1: Eh, It's hard to know. Like the Groms, I guess I could see why people would buy a Grom. You know, there is a certain amount more practicality with a Grom but it is probably a lot easier to ride. So maybe they're trying to appeal to people that have never really considered a motorcycle
0: before for city transportation. I think that's exactly what it is, that they're trying to bait people into getting into the dealership. Like your
1: work is too far away to ride a bicycle, but you want to save money. And so you're going to buy a Navi.
0: So I would, this is like a perfect college transportation yeah yeah and especially at two grand mm-hmm. i mean you say mom dad it's two grand just throw it on your credit card and be done with it you know yeah i mean in today's world that's what would happen but yeah for running especially if you live off campus and you gotta get to campus and stuff like that that's like the perfect vehicle for college even though like oh it's not electric it's not green that's fine. yeah um, it is carbureted hmm interesting yeah. they're not gonna know the di- they're not gonna know the difference no, no, I'm just, I'm just saying it's pretty low tech. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised yeah. that it's carbureted actually. Yeah, that is. Um, and with that container there, you could throw your backpack or something in there or whatever, you, you know, small backpack and you're probably good to go. And, mm-hmm. and I think that it looks enough like a motorcycle that it doesn't have that scooter. Yeah. What, what do I want to like say? Like H-
1: Honda Metropolitan.
0: Yeah. Unless, unless you're on a Vespa, it's not cool. <laughs> yeah. People are not going to, doubt your orientation um and on the other hand it doesn't look so much like a motorcycle that it's going to be threatening to mom and dad and the girlfriend that might want to hop on the back and yeah, it's friendly looking you know it's kind of goes back to the you meet the nicest people on a honda kind of vibe to it actually the the tagline for that thing seriously cheap and cheerful yeah I literally that literally could be their their t- their tagline for that bike cheap and cheerful yep mm-hmm. yep I don't think I would buy one only because I'm building something that will have pretty much exactly the same performance. Yes. But you would have spent less and been able to ride and not spent 10 <laughs> years. Mine will it. have yeah. better brakes. Mine will <laughs> okay. definitely have better brakes. So I'll have front and rear discs. So yeah. Now it's going to be like the crappiest disc brake in the world, but still.
1: Yeah. Cause I feel like my trail 70 and this thing sort of occupy the same usage environment.
0: Yeah, I can a Trail 70 is like five grand for one now. It's true. <laughs> it's you know? true.
1: If you're looking at buying one or the other, you're probably not going to buy a Trail 70.
0: S- sorry, and, and not to go down a rat hole, but just as a, a throw this out there, we... Uh, and, and some of the stupid values we see on odd things in the two wheel world. We really need to get Avi back on here. Uh he, It's been a few years and given how crazy some of this stuff has been in his business, he'd be a good person to get an answer on why, why some of this pricing has gone stupid. I heard that Honda may come out with a Trail 70 style. You know, they brought back the CT90 as the Trail 125. They're going to take that same 125 engine and put it in a trail 70 version god i hope so i mean they did the monkey off of the well, Grom, yeah, so the why monkey. not yeah. right i mean they've got the grom the monkey the super cub the trail 125 all basically the same except for auto or manual clutch on it but they're all between 34 and 42 i think mm-hmm. yeah they're not cheap what's amazing is the most expensive out of all of them is the monkey monkey's yeah. 41.99 but I think it also has some of the highest qual. I mean, it's got steel fenders, steel tank, mm-hmm. m- more expensive parts on it. Yeah. And if I was going to buy any of these, I think I would probably want to go with the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would
1: buy the monkey first, but it's a lot of money for a toy. <laughs>
0: well, that's just it. Is that's why I really think the navy's cool because when you start looking at that kind of money, and you're like, eh, I don't know, and then you go. Oh,
1: for 2,300 bucks. That's like three car payments for a, a today's car. Yeah. Right?
0: Two, really? Yeah. So I'm kidding. Yeah. There's a lot of people paying a thousand dollars a month for your car. I'm not one of them and I never will be one, but. Yeah, me either. 1.99 for 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> when you don't have mom and dad and you're eating ramen noodles and you need transportation. 200, bu- 200 bucks a month. So yeah, Maybe. Another thing that Honda is going to be coming out with that I wanted to bring up is, have you guys heard anything about the Hawk 11? No, a little bit. They made the NT1100, which may or may not be coming in the United States, but it's basically the Africa twin engine and frame in a street bike. An upright adventure styled sport tour, kind of like that cf moto adventura or the versus or um you know not really an off-roader but still that kind of sit up and beg and some wind protection on it well they are now coming out with the hawk 11 i don't know whether it's going to come to the states or not but it is basically that same bike with styling kind of like the uh what's the fancy mv augusta that they came out with. Um,
1: the um, the Veloce. Vo- uh, Super Veloce. Super yes. Veloce. Yeah. Or
0: the uh, the new, the Triumph. I'm trying to think of what it is. Oh, the, uh, um, if you're thinking of the Speed Triple 1200 RR? Yes, thank you. Thank you. It would help if I actually researched what we talk about before we talk about it. Oh, yeah. it, uh, it took me a second. I, I, I had to mentally walk through a couple things. Like, eh. oh, there we are. Yeah, yeah, This is like that. It's got a low cafe fairing and flat seat but if you look at the frame and the engine it's the africa twin i will i will say the original hawk the the 650 hawk when i started road racing in the early 2000 or in 2000 99 actually was one of the most popular bikes right until the sv 650 showed up yeah (laughs) and then and then everyone with a hawk complained like oh, but I've just spent $8,000 on this and they're buying $8,000 for a race-ready bike. Yeah, it's funny, usual things, but it was a great bike. So this thing should be fun. Should be Bad good. The Hawk GT. Uh, GT 650, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My friend uh, Jim that we had on the podcast yeah. way back when we started, he actually bought, one, we were all working at a motorcycle dealership and he bought a crash damage one that needed new forks and front wheel. Got it cheap. And we worked at the dealership so he could get the replacement parts fairly cheap. And it was a great bike. I actually borrowed it. That's the bike I rode on vacation because my GB500 blew up. And uh, he lent me that bike for a week. And I rode it from Denver to Kansas City and back at it for Mm -hmm. about a week. And I, I loved that bike. This new Hawk 11, they're only showing teaser photos of it. So it's not like you can tell much about it but it's it's going to be odd. The design is unique. Yeah, it it's it's kind of 70s futurist. Like if you were designing a future bike in the 70s, it kind of has that that vibe to it.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Suzuki has done some design like this recently. It's different It's sort of a maybe a throwback design with a modern twist. Mm
0: -hmm. It's it's interesting. I think it's going to be a little aesthetically challenged, quite honestly. I like the idea, but I've also heard people say the Africa Twin Engine is not what you think of when you think of a really racy cafe racer kind of thing. It's going to be that admittedly very torquey, fun motor, but I'm. I'm not sure that it translates. Feels a little bit like the bagger thing. You're taking different bodywork that doesn't really fit with the bike, and you're just going to put it on there. So, market research. Yeah, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. We probably should wrap it up. Um, unfortunately, using Zoom instead of Skype for the first time, we're using that to record. It doesn't give me a count on our recording time Mm -hmm. i always look at that because normally we want to stay between 50 and 65 minutes our average is about 55 minutes so we're we're in that ballpark yeah so i will probably edit some stuff out because i always do because we have lulls or i say something stupid and i'm like nah i'm gonna cut that out (laughs) because that was totally wrong (laughs) you guys your mistakes i leave in I just got oh, out my own. Well, mistakes. That, that's the power of being the editor, right? <laughs> yes. you make yourself look great and make everyone else look like morons. Yes. <laughs> I I just stumble over my words more often, is what it really comes down to. Okay, so we're going to wrap up. You can see pictures of all the bikes that we've talked about on Hooniverse.com. I haven't really updated anything on my own website. Uh, I have some reviews, car reviews coming up on. Hooniverse.com here in the next few in the next few days or weeks. Uh, and you'll be able to see more of the pictures that if you didn't see them originally from what we talked about the Desert X last month, you'll be able to see them on Huniverse in the next week or two. So. Great. Rate us and leave a comment on Apple. Uh, Spotify as well. Yes, because that actually really does make a big difference. If you have comments or anything, go to Hooniverse.com and leave a comment on our post. or head um, on over to our facebook page and post them there as well yeah just search for false neutral on facebook or you can always email them uh uh, it's either false neutral at gmail.com or the false neutral just send both and we'll get one of them (laughs) and some other guy (laughs) will get a copy of it very good we will see you all again next month thanks for listening see ya so long